Pastor Charlie is right. That music kind of gets me pumped. Wow. Um, I'm excited to be here, guys. My name is Quentin Payton. I'm the youth director here at River Rock Bible Church. And last week, Pastor Charlie got us started off on being commissioned. We have all been commissioned by Christ to go into the world to preach the good news. And I hope if you're sitting here this morning, you do believe that it is good news, that it is something that will change your life and change the perspective of your entire life. For those who don't know me, I am a student at the University of Mary Hardin Baylor. Go crew. I'm a senior there. I'm studying Christian ministry. And part of my awesome UMHB experience has gotten to live in a house called Peacock Ranch. Now, we used to have two peacocks. And apparently, PETA didn't think it was safe for them to live on a college campus anymore, so we no longer have those peacocks. But we are still called Peacock Ranch. I live in this house with seven other guys. I know what you're thinking. We're always studying. We're always keeping the noise level down, except never. So we have to come up with some rules so that we don't burn the house down. And we keep it orderly and keep it functioning. So we decided to come up with a chore chart. There's four chores that we have to do on a weekly basis, split up between the eight of us. Two of us do the floors, two of us take out the trash, two of us do the cleanup, and two of us do the dishes. Now the most important one of these, that's actually our kitchen sink by the way, the most important of these is the dishes. If eight 20-year-old guys do not have things to cook with or to eat with, we get hangry, which is hungry, angry, okay? It's kind of a new word, but we're bringing it in this generation. And if we don't have this for us, the house will just not be the way it's supposed to go. The problem with me is I'm really bad doing the dishes. As soon as I come home, the last thing I want to do is do the dishes. I want to sit down. I want to watch TV. I want to watch Netflix. I want to get my homework done. Maybe I want to get my homework done. And the last thing I want to do is just decide to scrub some dishes down. What I've noticed is if I don't take that responsibility seriously, the whole house is going to suffer. All of my roommates are going to be mad that I didn't do what I was supposed to do, that I neglected my responsibility. They're going to be hungry. They're going to be upset with me. And they might have to ditch their chores to get mine done. And that happens to be the same way that we've gone with this commission. This is our responsibility. This is what God has asked us to do. And if we are not living out this great commission, other people are suffering. The faithful followers of Christ that are going into their communities, that are going into the world, that are preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, are suffering because we're not doing our responsibility. Why are they suffering? Because it takes multiple people to come into our lives for us to truly accept who Jesus is. I know for myself, I was lucky to be raised in a Christian home, but multiple people have come into my life to keep me on course, to keep me in the direction of going where Christ is leading me. So it it takes multitudes of people. This faith is not our own. It is a community of faith that is God's. And so we need to be taking our responsibilities seriously every single day. This great commission is not a hopeful thing. It is a now and it is present. If you will turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, we're going to be talking about the great commission, the method of this great commission. We're going to be starting in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 28. Starting in verse 16, 
But the eleven disciples proceeded Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. Just six verses earlier, Jesus runs into a couple of his disciples and he says, Hey, I'm going to be in Galilee on this mountain. You guys come follow me and I'll meet you there. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. But some were doubtful. That's weird to me. I, I can kind of picture Jesus up on this mountain. And he's wearing this glowing white robe, obviously. He's got holes in his hands. He's just been resurrected. And he's standing up on this mountain. And the disciples come and they start worshipping him. They start praising him. Because they, he had truly conquered death. And it's incredible to them that they're seeing him face to face. But some of them were doubtful. Why would they be doubtful that Jesus, the guy that they've been following for three years, why would they be doubtful that he is right there of this whole entire experience? Because his death was real. Because they abandoned him at that moment in the garden. They had heard the stories of how he was whipped, how he was scorned, how he's put up on the cross. And so it was crazy for them to see someone who had actually conquered death in front of their eyes. Why is this significant to us? Because it's able to prove that everything before this, all that he taught, all that he lived, his death, the death itself was real. The death was so real that they started to doubt that he could actually conquer death. They would slowly realize that this is the Son of God. They would worship him and worship him because it was him. It was the man that they were following for three years. Moving on to verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The first part of this great commission is that it is great in authority. There's great authority in this great commission. Jesus, after going through that suffering, after being obedient to the point of death on a cross, he was given all authority from his Father to rule over the entire universe on earth and on heaven. He fills this place. He is the power. He is the authority of all creation. He was there at the creation of the world. He was there to redeem the world. He is the fullness of creation. He is the essence of life, and he has conquered death. That's something we cannot forget. That's something we must not forget. So he establishes himself as this authoritative figure. He says, I am the essence of life. I'm the authority of life. Just a few chapters earlier, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus huddles his disciples up real close, and he kind of realizes that ministry's changing a little bit. He's got to shake things up. You know, you can't keep people just feeding into him. He's got to push them out now. So he huddles his disciples up, and what he does is he decides to give the authority to cast out evil spirits to his disciples. Not only that, but he also gives them the power to save those that are physically ill. He gives them power over spiritual things, and he gives them power over physical illnesses. And he gives those and he bestows those to his disciples to send them out and to go into the community and continue what he has already started. That's exactly what he's asking us to do. He's asking us to come to this authority and say, God, we need what you have. We need that authority to go into our community unashamed and do what you would have us to do. He is asking us to come before him just in that manner to change the way that we are doing our Christian faith. A lot of us will come to Jesus day in and day out. You'll come to church and you'll, you'll try to feed on the word. You'll try to feed and worship. But that's not where it ends. 
Jesus plans for you to come and get what you need, but to also overflow with that and turn yourselves around and go into your community and do what he really wants you to do, which is change this world. And he's asking you to come. God has placed all this authority on him to be the mediator of all this authority and power. He's the key to it all. So what else do we do with this authority? The second part of the Great Commission is that it is great in scope. It's great in scope. Look at me at verse 19 real quick. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All nations. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue will hear the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you guys, it is actually our responsibility to do that. Every single one of us in this room is responsible for this message getting to the entire world. No matter if you're living in an Islamic state, in a Buddhist country, in a Hindu country, or a communist nation, they are equally as free to share the gospel as we are. They are equally as free to share the gospel. Political freedom has nothing to do with holding back the gospel. God will go where he wants to go, and he will take it wherever he needs to take it. But the question really is, is if you're not free to share it, we all are, is if are you going to obey what he's asked you to do? The cost of obedience here is way different in other countries. You may be thrown in prison, you may be beheaded, you may be taken away from your family, exiled, whatever it might be, but as much as we can see that and see that on the news and see this suffering and we see that, but we can't relate because the worst thing that might happen to us is that we might be shunned, we may be rejected, might be a little awkward at work if you decided to bring up that conversation. But we have so much more to offer people than what they see in this world and we must obey because we are just as free as the rest of this world. And we have been given an abundance of freedom to do so. This message of hope that we have has no limits. I think another reason why he says all nations is because their entire ministry was kind of geared towards the Jewish people. It was geared towards who they were most comfortable with. It's like us Texans deciding to go over to Louisiana and preach the gospel. It's a little weird. It's a little weird. It's a little uncomfortable. The, the culture's different. The, the people, we have this Texan pride, and we think we're better than everybody, which I know we are. It's cool. We get it. We get it. I'm not going to ruffle your feathers, but we have, this, we have this pride about ourselves, and they did too. They had pride in who they were. But it's time for us to go to people that need this message of hope. That's everyone. Even the people that you don't like deserve to hear the good news. They need it, guys. They need it. Let's look a little deeper at verse 19 and verse 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. I'm not an English major, but what I have learned from this verse is that the imperative verb, or the verb that has the entire function of this sentence, is called, is the phrase, make disciples. That is the main function of this entire verse. The next point we're going to make is that the Great Commission is great in task. There is a great task ahead of us. There's much for us to do. But he's going to outline it for us. 
So it's all about making disciples. Going, teaching, and baptizing are all participles. They all depend on this main function of making disciples. So if you are making disciples, you are going, you are baptizing, and you are teaching. They all depend on making disciples. If we were to read this entire gospel of Matthew, we would see how Jesus interacts with each of his disciples. For some of them, he walked up to them and said, drop your nets and follow me. Drop your nets didn't just mean a thing of tether or a thing to catch fish. It was so much more than that. It was dropping everything that they had known before, their religion. They dropped their way of income. Some of them left their families and they, they... came and they followed Jesus wherever he would go. And they would glue themselves to Jesus. He was their rabbi. He was their teacher. And so they would go and they would follow him and slowly they would learn how he would interact with the poor, how he would interact with the temple priests, how would he interact with his family, how did he deal with stress, how did he love his family, how did he provide for others, what, did, what was he teaching, why was he here, why was he here? Luke 19.10 says he came to seek and to save the lost. If you spent any time with Jesus, if you spent any time in the Bible, if you spent any time praying to Jesus, you have to know that he came, first and foremost, to seek and to save the lost. And as a disciple of God first, you are a learner or a follower. You learn from God and you follow God. That is what a disciple is, and slowly but surely, these disciples, these 11 men standing right in front of him, have adopted his passions. They've adopted his virtues, and they've now adopted his purpose to go to seek and to save the lost. All of you sitting in this room who have accepted Christ are first a disciple to God, and you must know that you must pursue him with all your heart and understand that you will slowly but surely be conformed into his image and begin to adopt his purposes and his personality and his hopeful message and it would just spring forth from you he also says purely and simply you are not a disciple of mine if you're not making disciples we must be making disciples that is the key to how we will reach this entire world as i've said earlier i was born in a christian home i went to a baptist church growing up and I accepted Christ at a very, very young age, and I've always heard the Great Commission. I've always heard how awesome this ride is. This is our purpose. This is what Jesus' last hurrah was. This is what we're really meant for, and making disciples was just something I thought was for the super Christians, people that actually have their lives together, people that think that they can actually do these things, and so really growing up, I just thought, you know, maybe when I get a little bit older— maybe I'm a little bit more confident with my faith, then I'll be able to really talk to people about Jesus Christ. Then when I got to be a teenager, it was like, you know what, I got way too much going on right now. There's just so much going on with me. There's just, I just don't really know where my thoughts are. I just, I just can't do that right now. And so 15 years into this faith of mine, I don't think I've ever truly discipled someone where I've really taken them and really just shown them the way that I've been trying to live my life this entire time. And of course, God has a sense of humor. Every year at UMHB, my school, Mary Harden Baylor, we have this tradition. It's our biggest tradition on campus. It's called the Easter pageant. The Easter pageant, that was last year's Jesus. That beard is incredible, by the way. And 
This year, I was asked to portray Christ. I was asked to, um, in this play where we show the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they have asked me to portray Christ this year. As part of those responsibilities, obviously growing out your hair and growing out your beard. And guys, that is work. Oh my gosh. But even more so than that, you get to pick your own 12 disciples. I was a little nervous about that. I was really nervous about that. I really didn't think I was the kind of guy that 12 guys would want to follow. Like, there's no way. How could a guy like me take 12 of his own peers and prepare for something like this? So I took an entire summer and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I focused in on what God would want me to do and what God would want me to ask and what, who God would want me to bring into this group and how would I even lead these guys when it wasn't really about me at all. Slowly but surely, God brought these guys into my life. And I tell you what, each one of them are from different walks of life. Each one of them have a different view of God, it seems. And some of them don't even have a relationship with God. But yet somehow, if, you were to, if I was to line them up here right now and you were to ask them, are, am I supposed to be in this group? Are you supposed to be in this group of disciples? I, I promise you that each one of them would say yes. For some reason, we all feel called to this point. Even the ones that have no idea what God is doing in their lives, they still believe that they're supposed to be in this group. One of my disciples, his name is Harrison. Love the guy. Super awesome dude. Like, oh my gosh. He is um, kind of the definition of a surfer guy. He's just kind of like a hang 10 kind of guy. Um, not someone I usually hang out with, but you know. Great commission, right? So I was hanging out with this guy, and we just started talking. And as soon as I said I was a Christian ministry major, I thought he would back off. I thought he would back off and kind of like, you know what, this guy's a little bit too goody-good for me, whatever it might be, because that's usually the, the reaction I get. But instead, he kind of decided to dive in. Turns out he loves philosophy, loves talking about philosophy, and so we got to talking one time, and he just said, you know what, I've read the entire Bible cover to cover, but I just never felt God. I just never engaged with God. And I said, so in your past, have you ever sensed God's presence before? And he said, yes, one time. One time I have. And that was when he, his dad had pushed him out of the house and said, you need to go find a summer job. So it was his junior year summer and he goes and he finds a camp job and he's working as just a simple gardener and he ends up at Camp Blessing. I don't know if any of us have heard of Camp Blessing, but Camp Blessing is a Christian camp for the campers who have Down syndrome. And so they come to this camp and they just have a blast for a whole week and each camper has their own counselor to hang out with. And Harrison was there just being a gardener. And he got to see how much these counselors loved on these kids and how much love poured out of these campers. And he told me, Quentin, I I felt God's presence. It was no doubt in my mind that something was different. That's all I've been wanting since then. And at that moment, I said, you know what? I have something for you. Would you like to be a disciple of mine? Would you like to come to this group? That's exactly what we're trying to foster here. That guy is full of doubt. 
of who God is. And it just so happened that the last disciple name that I had open was Thomas. And if anyone knows who the disciple Thomas was, he was the best doubter of us all. That's a God thing. And so I say this story to say that God is working in our communities. We are not alone. Even in this room, there are multiple churches in this area, but God is still bigger than that, and he is still moving. And he's got people in your lives to talk to. They're ready to hear what you have in your heart. And we can't hold that back. We can't lack our responsibility because there are people that need that message of hope. And even worse, there's people that have bought into this world that this is their home, that this is all that life brings us. But it's not. And we know that. And we know that. If I was to go get eggs at a grocery store, the purpose of me going to the grocery store would be to get eggs. The process of that is still, I have to go. That is the same way as making disciples. We have to go. That's part of getting disciples. That's part of making disciples. So the first point there is going. We must be going. We must be going. Going to make disciples. Every morning, I get faced with a huge decision, okay? My roommate, he gets really, really hot when he sleeps at night. So he's got this massive box fan that just blows air right on him, okay? By morning, it is freezing in our room. And I have maybe two blankets, and I always have to sleep with socks on now because they're not long enough to cover my feet. I know, it's terrible. And I have this decision to make every morning. Do I stay under my covers and try to sleep a little bit longer? Maybe waste a little bit of my day, but I'm comfortable? Or do I get the covers off, step on the cold tile, be a little uncomfortable for a little bit, but actually accomplish something in my day. That's the difference we have. Are we going to stay inside of our comfort zone? Are we going to stay just in our church? Are we going to stay just in our home? Are we going to stay where we will never enter friction with that spiritual force or that physical illness maybe? Will we, will we never interact with that and stay safe and have a happy life, have a good life? Or are we going to step out and are we going to make a difference in today? And it's a daily thing that we're faced with. Are we going to step out? Are we going to go? Are we going to go? The second part he says there in verse 19 is baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a huge thing. It would be unheard of for a disciple of Christ to not be baptized. That's just crazy for someone not to be baptized. In this, in this culture, this was just a huge symbolic thing for them. You're publicly identifying yourself as a Christian. You're going underwater. You're identifying with Christ's death. And then you come into this newness of life as you raise up from the water. But the most important thing, when you come up from that water, you're coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ. You're coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ. From now on, everything switches for you. That is just a symbolic point for you to reference your life back to. I'm continually living for God. I'm continually living for God. A couple weeks ago, we started Financial Peace University. For a college student, that is awesome because I have no idea how to do finances. <clears throat> yeah, so we had to do our first budget. I'm looking at Mike right now. He's smiling. We're in the same class. And I had to do my first budget, 
And if I had to be honest, I would really just fill up this department like nobody's business, okay? Food is pretty much everything that my budget goes to. Second would be gas. And if I had anything left over, then maybe I would tithe or maybe I would give to a friend that's going on a mission trip, savings, what's that? And so that would be kind of how my focus would be. My focus would be, okay, your boy's got to eat, so let's eat. And then we got to get some gas to get places to go. And then I really looked at my budget. I was like, wow, that's interesting. I'm really selfish. So now with Financial Peace University, the first thing you do after putting in your income, you tithe right off the top. It doesn't matter if you... Um, spend all your money once, like you're going to get that tithing done. That's the first thing you do when you get your income. You tithe and then you give. You give to others. You give to your church even more so. Maybe you give to a neighbor that's financially unstable at this point. But those are the first two things you do. And it's the same thing after we are baptized. We change our priorities. We change our focus. We're no longer living to make ourselves comfortable in this world. We're no longer living to make ourselves popular in this world. We're not living for the eyes of this world. We're living for the two eyes up in heaven, guys. We are constantly pursuing after him. And we must honor him not only with our finances, with supporting people and supporting ourselves to go into the world and to make a difference in people's lives. But it's a daily, daily commitment. It is a daily commitment. The last part he says here in verse 20 is teaching them to observe or obey all that I commanded you. Teaching them to observe or obey all that I've commanded you to do. I love this part. I love it, I love it, I love it. Because four chapters earlier, Jesus says the phrase, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will remain forever. The significance of us being taught these things, not to just learn. We can have all the head knowledge in the world, but who's that going to help? We must obey. We must observe these commandments. We must do something with them. Jesus never saw a time in human history where these commandments would be insignificant. There would always be a time where his teachings, his parables would impact someone's life, would change someone's perspective, would open up the world's eyes to see who he was, what he's trying to do, who are we, who is he. It's constantly just an impactful presence in our world. There's never going to be a time where his commandments don't matter. And he recognized that. And so that's why he says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. It would be passed on from faithful believer to faithful believer to faithful believer. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus has walked this earth. And guys, I'm teaching from his commandments right now. There's always going to be significance in this world, in our lives, for what he's teaching us. And he doesn't want to teach us just so that we know. He wants us to teach to obey. When I was little, I got the awesome opportunity to do chores. I know I'm talking about chores. <laughs> I'm just a self-disciplined guy, I guess. Anyways, I had to, on Saturday mornings, my dad would wake me and my sister up. We, we in the hours about 8 a.m. Gosh, that's early. And he would wake us up and he would hand us a bucket. 
and character building, right? And so we would take that bucket and we'd go outside and we would pick up all the little pine cones that your little heart desired and we would put them in this bucket and we'd throw them in the trash so that my dad could take the mower and mow the lawn so he didn't have to run over pine cones and destroy the mower. It happened a couple times. Who did it? We don't know. Anyways, the pine cones were little things for little people, but they were still something we had to do. And to be honest, if I didn't obey my father when he asked me to do the little pine cones, there's no way he would have given me the things that he's given me today. There's no way our relationship would be as good as it is today. There would be a little bit of tension. He wouldn't trust me as much. I wouldn't like him as much. But I still had to obey. I still had to love him. That was part of my loving to my dad was obeying, believing that he knew it was best for me. And even though it helps him out, we still have to do it because he knows what's best for me and he wants me to be disciplined in the future. And if there's a pinecone storm, I am one of the most prepared people in the entire world. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's always going to be with us. It's great in promise. The Great Commission is great in promise. This is the best part of the entire Great Commission. We will never, ever be alone. I'm so glad that Christ hasn't woken me up one morning on a Saturday and asked me to pick up pine cones. What he has asked me to do is invest myself in relationships, is to make disciples is to preach this great, great news to other people. And the best part about that, he says, I'm not going to be alone. I'm never going to leave you. Can we trust him? Can we trust him with that? Can we trust that he will always be there for us and know what's best for us? Ephesians uh, 2.10, for For we are God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus to do good works in which God has prepared for us to walk in. He knows what's best for us. And if you are wondering this morning, you know what, Quentin, I'm praying daily and I'm worshiping all the time, but I don't feel God's presence. I don't feel his presence this morning. I don't know what it is, but I've been trying, Quentin. I really have. I've been trying to do good. But the problem is you're probably not obeying. If you really want to feel God's presence in your life, if you want God in your life, He's all over the people that are doing this great commission. He is all over the people that are obeying him day in and day out. And that relationship is solid. That faith is incredible. And I want that for every single one of us. And I want that for every single one of us outside of this room. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so, so much for your word. Thank you so much for the time that you've given us here on earth to just make a difference in people's lives. Lord, just continue just to convict us, to move us, to inspire us, to just overwhelm us with your presence and with your love. Let us truly understand what grace is so that we might live in it every single day. Allow your love to pour out from not just this stage or just this church, but from your entire being, God. Let us experience that authority that you are proclaiming to us that you have. Let us love you with all of our hearts and let us obey. Teach us to obey. In your name we pray. Amen.